0: Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. It's the first episode of 2023 and it's been a few weeks since we last recorded. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. And this week we're going to talk about the King's 43-year grudge against a law change on the line of succession. We'll discuss why this is a good year for public holidays in Sweden. We'll give you some tips for how to save money. We'll listen to an interview with the Indian ambassador to Sweden of a roundup of what migration law changes are in the offing. We'll discuss why Sweden is responsible for half of all the expulsion orders served to UK citizens in the EU post Brexit. And we'll round things off with a quiz on um, Gothenburg. I'm Paul Amani and I'm joined today by James Savage in Stockholm and Becky Waterton in Malmö and Emma Lovegrain in Simrishamn. Is that right, Emma? Uh, yeah, that's right. Happy New Year, everyone. Good for Stessing. Good for Shetning. Are we still allowed to say that?
1: We haven't had Schugener
4: Knut yet, so I think we're okay.
3: If you listen to this on the Saturday, it was yesterday,
0: so we can no longer say. Can we no longer say good continuation after that? No, oh God!
1: I knows. no longer wish you a good continuation, Paul. <laughs> I hope you all have a bad continuation from now on.
0: Despite your ill will, Emma, welcome back. Uh, you've been away for the whole period since we relaunched this podcast in March. Can you tell listeners a bit about yourself, if um, if we have some new listeners here who are not familiar with you, and why were you away?
1: Well, yeah, I wish I could say it's great to be back, but honestly, being off on 10 months of parental leave has been amazing. (laughs) But it's it's somewhat good to be back. Uh, So a bit about me, I'm Swedish, but I used to work for newspapers in Scotland in the Western Isles in Aberdeen. So if you're listening and you're from there, get in touch. And I'm now based in southern Sweden, and I've been the editor of the local Sweden for almost seven years now. And I Mm -hmm. can say this, though, that I am actually genuinely excited to start digging into all the topics that we want to cover for our readers in 2023, because there's so much to look at from migration to money and everything that we're going to talk
0: about today. Yeah absolutely we've seen that over the last few months that it's been a particularly busy news period since the since Sweden got its new government and it looks like that's just going to continue into new year with you know Sweden taking over the, the helm at the EU as we discussed in the last episode there's just a lot going on. And more NATO. And more NATO yeah and we've got tons to discuss today because it has been a couple of weeks since we were last here. So thanks for all that Emma. Richard was doing your job as editor of the local Sweden all last year and I'm glad to say that he is still at the local just in a different role and he will remain involved in the podcast and will be back next week all going well. Uh, The plan is that we're going to mix it up a little bit this season. We'll have different constellations of panellists each week but the same basic idea which is to give you all the news and cultural information you need to dazzle the locals at every party and social gathering you attend. Before we get into this week's stories I just want to say thank you to all the people who pay to be members of the local without your support we wouldn't be able to do this podcast at all so your support is very much appreciated and if any of you are considering joining we do have an introductory offer for podcast listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer OK, onwards, let's start with Carl XVI, Gustav, the King of Sweden, who caused a right fuss last week after a documentary aired in which he dredged up a law change from 1980 that changed the rules on royal succession. Can you give us the lowdown? What did the king say and what has the reaction been like?
3: Well, he expressed his displeasure with how the rules were changed to allow women to accede to the throne. So now, as most people know, Crown Princess Victoria is next in line to the throne. When the king abdicates or dies, she will take over. When she was born, however, she wasn't in the line of succession at all. I think this is something a lot of people miss. It, it's not like the British system, for example, where if there are no boys, then the girls take over, or if, if, if the boys die, then the girls take over. In this case, she wasn't in the line of succession at all. And the Swedish government and Swedish parliament decided this wasn't on and they decided that they wanted to have a um, gender-neutral succession to the throne. Now, this was sort of planned during the second half of the 1970s, but wasn't implemented until 1980, after Victoria had been born, but also after her brother, Carl Philip, had been born. Now, when Prince Carl Philip was born, He was crown prince. And for about the first eight months of his life, he was crown prince, he was the heir to the throne, according to the old rules. Now, the king says that this is deeply unfair. It was unfair to deprive Prince Carl Philip, as he had already been given this status, to deprive him of it um, retroactively. He also says, in principle, it's wrong with retroactive legislation, which I think, you know, there is a general principle that you don't have retroactive legislation. And this is where he's got a bit of sympathy for it. However, others would say that the reason you don't have retroactive legislation is for things like crimes. You can't make something a crime today and apply it to something that people did yesterday. But he thinks it's unfair in in this case as well. So he has had some support for this from some people. But there are many other people who have criticised him for saying that he should not comment on laws, even those laws that apply to the royal family, because he, as a constitutional monarch, is not supposed to talk about political issues. He's not supposed to have opinions. So this has caused a bit of a rumpus. And other people are wondering why he's making a fuss about this, given that Crown Princess Victoria is seen as perhaps the strongest asset that the royal family has. She is an extremely verbal, intelligent person who is um, who, who, who people see as perhaps the person who basically saves the royal family and saves the Swedish monarchy and gives it um, strength for the future. So, yeah, but he ain't happy and he hasn't. And it turns out that he wasn't happy 40 years ago and he made that clear
0: Mm. and he still isn't happy now. Is it time to let it go, maybe? You'd think so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My favourite thing about that documentary was how when he made those comments, the royal court clearly realised immediately that, oh, this is going to be controversial. So they Mm. insisted that SVT, who filmed the documentary, come back the following day, interview the king again so that he gets to clarify his comments. And then he says
0: exactly the same thing.
3: (laughs) Being the press person at the Royal Palace must be kind of hard work sometimes.
0: (laughs) So another story making headlines uh, last week was a new report from Danske Bank on the state of the Swedish economy. Can you run us through what the economists there are forecasting, Becky?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's not great, (laughs) to put it lightly. They've written this new report on the economic outlook in the Nordic countries. And they said basically in the section on Sweden that Sweden's economy could be facing its, and this is a quote, most severe shock since the 1990s. And then they also said that the outlook for customers is bleak. Um, And they kind of mentioned some reasons for this, including the loss of four years of real wage growth, which it predicted would keep dropping throughout this year and then would only start to rise again in 2024. They also predicted that inflation would rise by at least another percent, uh, but then it would peak in the course of this year and start to drop by the end of this year, at the end of 2023. The bank also predicted that unemployment would reach 8.5% by the end of the year. Property prices will drop by at least another 8%, giving a total of 20% 20 drop since the peak in spring 2022. It predicted that interest rates will remain high throughout this year, with them potentially rising by a total of 0.75% and would only start dropping again in 2024. And then they would only drop by 1% in 2024.
3: So when they say worst since the 1990s, they don't mean that it's going to be anything like the 1990s, which in Sweden were off.
4: I think what they mean is that like the entire year of everything staying at a high level is going to be what's difficult, rather than things going up more. I think it's just like the constant kind of level of it being high is what I'm reading.
3: But it is this thing of you know, if, if interest rates are already high, a, even a small increase then is, is is painful because it's already painful. So yeah. you know, it's like if you're doing weights at the gym, it's like you know, sticking an extra five kilos on five kilos isn't isn't very much, but sticking an extra five kilos on a hundred kilos that can be the, the straw that breaks your own back. And and exactly. you know, it's the same with interest rates. It's 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 hard. Is, is
1: that the weight of the Weights that you lift at the gym, James. Five kilos. <laughs> it's my ambition. Hundred and five. It's my ambition.
0: Thanks for that, Becky. And we'll put a link to your article on Danske Bank in the show notes, as we will also do for an article you wrote, Emma, offering some money-saving tips. Can you talk about some uh, good ways listeners can make their kroner stretch this year?
1: Something that. I've started trying to do myself is um, checking what fruit and veg are in season and buying according to that. So the benefits are that that's often cheaper and it's tastier and it's better for the climate so you get to feel good about yourself as well. And in January, some of the Swedish produce that you can get fresh, that includes like, turnips, carrots,
0: Swedes. Cannibalism.
4: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of fresh Swedes in Sweden. If you're really stretched for cash, just eat yourself.
1: (laughs) And my second tip is about the cost of electricity. So if you're staying in an apartment, then heating is probably included in your rent, so you don't have to worry too much about it. But if it isn't, then you can reduce costs by turning your heating down which is not rocket science, and don't turn it down so much that it puts you at risk. But with that being said, Swedish buildings are generally quite well insulated, so you can often save money by instead wrapping up warm. And to do that, you need to wear multiple layers, because the air pockets that sort of get trapped between your layers, it helps keep you warm. And make sure that you wear wool as your innermost layer. Synthetic, that's also fine if you don't own anything woolen. But don't ever wear cotton, because cotton is your enemy. It absorbs water really easily, which means that when you sweat, it gets soaked, and then it doesn't dry quickly, so it stays wet, and then it gets cold and cools you down.
0: Very good. Julie noted.
1: And my third money-saving tip applies mainly to full-time employees, but it's that instead of paying for things yourself... Try to get your boss to pay for them. (laughs) So, one of my favorite perks in Sweden, which a lot of companies here offer, is something called friskvårdsbidrag. So, you can translate that kind of health contribution or wellness contribution, and it's uh, basically a tax account benefit that can be put towards a sport activity of your choice. So, how much you get, it depends on your company, but they can give you no more than 5,000 kronor a year. And... By the way, a hot tip is that if you don't like exercise, massage often qualifies for drug,
3: Yeah, we do have drug at the local. But if you're going using it to get massages. I... Feel it's a totally James, <laughs> that. that is exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> oh, oh, for goodness' sake! You're supposed—I want some—I want some physical exercise here.
4: Genuinely though, if you spend your entire day hunched over a computer and you get a massage on your neck, it's going to stop people having to register sick because they get exactly, serious Becky. back issues and pains. Yeah, and if you so
3: it's go preventative. Go to the gym and do some proper back exercise. It's going to be even better.
1: Lift weights of the 105 kilos.
3: Exactly. Add that extra five kilos on. I
1: think I would definitely
4: need, need to visit a doctor if I tried to lift weights of
0: 105 <laughs> kilos. <laughs> You've got to work your way up. I'm gonna I'm gonna use it for massages just to see James's reaction. <laughs> and now that we now that we have him here, it feels like a good opportunity to sort of hold James against a barrel. Now that this is all sort of recorded, and you know we've got lots of witnesses. Is there anything else we'd like to request?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Given you the free for be drunk what would you want? <laughs> free massages for goodness' sake. <laughs>
0: Okay, so you, you, you've agreed to the massages, good. <laughs> well, it's, your legal, it's your legal right.
1: <laughs> but anyway, yeah, those are my three top tips.
0: Great, yeah. And there are uh, some more in the article as well. So do go check that out.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
0: Regular listeners will know that we've been talking to ambassadors recently about their communities and their impressions of Sweden and I had the pleasure of catching up with India's ambassador to Sweden Tanmay Alal in a conversation that touched on everything from the high tech to the prehistoric. He had lots of really interesting things to say and uh, we're going to hear some of it now.
2: I I trained as a chemical engineer and I have a master's degree in biosciences. Since 1991, uh, now more than 30 years, I've been a career diplomat. Sweden is my eighth foreign assignment and I've been here two years now. You're another COVID ambassador. (laughs) Yes, uh, my credentials were
0: done online and so on. Can we talk a little bit about Indians in Sweden and to start with how many
2: Indians are there in Sweden? According to the Swedish uh, statistics, it is estimated that maybe around 60,000 people uh, of Indian origin are uh, in Sweden, out of which uh, it is uh, thought that around 40,000 people uh, would still be Indian nationals. So that's the idea of the numbers that we have at this stage.
0: And do you have any idea of uh,
2: where they're living, what's the sort of geographical spread like and what they're doing in Sweden? Yeah, in fact, most of them are uh, professionals, IT professionals, engineers, other technical background. Some of them are uh, doing businesses, and many of them are also in various universities working as uh, research uh, professors and so on. And around 1,000-odd uh, Indian students would be there in the universities. So they are basically located in uh, areas where there are main industries and the universities or research institutions. So right from Stockholm to Gothenburg to Malmö, Helsinki, all the way up to Luleå, Umeå, westeros uh, Uppsala, uh, all the places. And is is there a long tradition of uh, migration from India to Sweden? Uh, Actually, not really. We think that uh, over the last 10 years, the numbers have really grown. Otherwise, the numbers, uh, I was seeing some statistics, were around 20,000 totally, uh, almost a decade back. So it's more in the last 10 uh, years that the numbers have changed. A lot of people are now working for the Swedish majors and also Indian companies here. What are trade relations like between India and Sweden? just as a, a side uh, thing on when we talk about trade. And then obviously today we talk about trade and globalization. But if you go to the Historiska Museum here, in the Viking section, there is a small bronze statuette of uh, Buddha uh, which was uh, found in a Viking settlement not far from here uh, in Helgo Island. And uh, that really dates back to 1,400 years, it is estimated, coming from the part of Kashmir. So uh, that sort of reveals how the Viking Trade networks were uh, there, vast networks, going all the way to India. And uh, you also find, for example, if you go to Birka, the museum there has a lot of Indian beads there. So again, around 1,000 years back, these uh, trading links were there. But coming to the present times, uh, the trade uh, between India and Sweden is around $4 billion annually. It's growing fast. Then there are a lot of, if you see between our countries, innovation, clean technologies, investment, these are very big. So, for example, the largest workforce of uh, Ericsson is in India. The second largest R&D setup of Volvo outside Sweden is, is uh, in India. Uh, Spotify, Truecaller, many of the other ones, I- IKEA, uh, they all have very substantial presence in India, almost 250 Swedish companies. And similarly now we have uh, almost 75 Indian companies who are active here. In uh, uh, sectors such as uh, steel, specialty steel, the uh, cellulose and uh, bioethanol, metal forgings, and of course IT. So a lot of uh, very, very broad spread. Uh, I've even now met uh, Indian engineers who are working for uh, upcoming companies like uh, Northvolt or H2 Steel. So very extensive uh, technical engagement. Excellent. And if
0: we can turn to your own experiences since moving to Sweden, what would you say is the one thing that you have found most surprising?
2: Well, very interesting. Um, For example, when I came in the first few weeks itself, uh, when I looked at the staircases of of our embassy or uh, where we live, India House, you know, these are fascinating. This is a Swedish limestone and they have uh, all over the place uh, fossils of Orthoceras, which is around 400 million years uh, old, when, you know, Sweden used to be under the sea and uh, located near the equator. And I was amazed that not many people remark on it. I mean, they, they take it for granted. So that was very surprising for me, that you you are living with these fossils everywhere, and I believe that a lot of these uh, Swedish limestone also went to places like England and other places. If you go to Dalarna or, or the Cilian Ring, amazing again. I mean, it's a meteorite strike, the only such strike in uh, Europe. Again, going back to around 500 million years old. So when I visit that, that's always on my mind, and it's, it looks beautiful. Uh, but then I have also gone into places uh, places like Namforshen. It's in the north uh, west. Uh, also, Bohuslan Tanum, where you have real old prehistoric art dating back to 7,000 years, and also remembering that time when the ice age was uh, retreating, and uh, you, you can find that here also in Stockholm, all the landscape uh, and and the Hogakusten. Kusten. So all those things are uh, really beautiful uh, for me. Fascinating, yes. And uh, what do you think is the best thing about living in Sweden? There are so many good things about uh, Sweden but uh, immediately what comes to mind is I was fortunate to attend the Nobel uh, Prize Ceremony and uh, there I was uh, wondering that uh, you had uh, because it was taking place after two years uh, laureates from three years 2020, 2021 and 2022 were there and it was quite moving to just be there. You, you can't do that any other place. It is Sweden. Then I remember, you know, earlier this year, in I think February, we were fortunate to watch some northern lights here in Stockholm. And it was uh, absolutely amazing that uh, you can do that. Things like this, which are completely, you know, uh, unexpected and quite unique to uh, this this place.
0: That was an excerpt from a chat I had with Tanmay Alal, India's ambassador to Sweden. And if you'd like to learn more about what he had to say, we will have a write-up of the interview on the website in the coming days. Now, can we take a moment now to enjoy the fact that 2023 is a good year for public holidays? We've talked before on the podcast about how Sweden doesn't care if public holidays fall on weekends. That's just your tough luck. And last year was one of those years when the cards didn't fall nicely for weekdays workers but this year is looking pretty good and there are ways to maximize our good fortune. Can you give us some tips Emma?
1: So in 2023 the holiday gods have ruled that the public holidays will fall in such a way that full-time employees will have 251 workdays which is too fewer than last year Uh, but there are a few tricks that you want to keep up your sleeve just to try to get as much time off as possible. So firstly pay attention to klemdagar is kind of squeezed days in English. These are single days that fall in between another weekday and a weekend. So if you get them off, it means that you can take one day out of your holiday allowance, but you actually get four consecutive days off. So you get like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, for example. And this year there are two squeeze days. That's the Friday of May 19th, which is the day after Ascension Day, which is a public holiday in Sweden because we have a freakish amount of religious public holidays, despite being a very non-religious country. And Monday, June 5th, which is the day before Sweden's national day. Some companies even let you take an additional half day off the day before a public holiday, which I have to say, I actually find bizarre. Like, oh wow, you have the day off tomorrow. That must be tiring. You probably need a half day to prepare for it. But if you can get that, then great for you. And maybe we should ask James about that. (laughs) Uh, But you should also note, by the way, that this is a common bonus but it's not something that you're legally entitled to. So don't be like one person I knew who thought that it was a general rule in Sweden and just happily walk out at noon the day before Ascension Day because he didn't (laughs) last very long. (laughs) But anyway, I also want to mention next Christmas. So it depends a little bit on your employer's policy, but presumably for most of the people listening to this podcast, if you manage to get the 27th to the 29th of December, because of the way that the public holidays fall this year, it means that you'll basically get 10 consecutive days off at the cost of only three days out of your holiday loans. And I should also mention that if you do end up working on a public holiday, a lot of Swedish companies offer something called Ubitileg, which is extra pay that you get on top of your salary for working on a day when you'd normally be off. So that's worth asking for, isn't it, James?
3: <laughs> <laughs> although, although important to note that it is not a legal obligation.
1: But it's included in a lot of contracts.
3: But.
4: Indeed. Uh, <laughs> I think usually if you have a collective off toll, you'll have all betelig. So check if check if you have a collective off toll and then check in. Again, don't assume that you're going to get it. And no. Don't just ask your boss after you've worked on a public holiday, hey, where's my extra pay? I think that might not go down very well.
1: My final and most important tip, I guess, is that you need to start planning now. Be ruthless. Get there before <laughs> your colleagues do, because when you play the game of holidays, you either win. Or you're stuck answering the phone and fixing a broken coffee machine while Katis and Tobbe are off skiing in the Alps. So hurry up. (laughs) I love, by the way, that I just came back from 10 months of maternity leave and all I can talk about is how to get more time off. (laughs) (laughs) Time to do some work, Emma.
0: (laughs) You do need it with a small child, in fairness. Thanks a million for that, Emma. Some really good tips there. And yeah, I think a really good idea to get in early before your colleagues have have thought too much about it because people do generally plan their holidays well in advance here and uh, people will know when the squeeze days are so make sure you're on top of that game as well
4: I do actually have one point about holidays is that if you do not have kids in Sweden find out when the summer holidays are because your boss might appreciate you taking your holiday like the, the school holidays your boss might appreciate you taking your holidays outside of school holidays and you can probably get a discount on any travel that you're doing because it won't be such yeah, a... Yeah,
3: wherever you go won't be absolutely packed exactly. with um, people with their families so it'll be more pleasant as yeah. well. Yeah, so.
4: so check when the Swedish school holidays are. We usually have an article up about that. So that's uh, and
1: it's uh, really good actually to save a few days for the autumn because there aren't any public holidays that fall on weekdays in autumn in Sweden and it can be a long, dark slog without any time
2: off. Yeah.
0: Great, good tips there. Okay, um, as we've discussed many times before, Sweden's new government has pledged to make multiple changes to laws surrounding work permits, citizenship and permanent residency requirements. Becky, you've been looking at the status of all these proposed changes this week. Can you tell us what's in the pipeline and if any of these updates are likely to come into effect this year?
4: Yes, I can. There's quite a lot. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to just quickly mention the law and the status, but if you want more information on what the law would kind of entail, what could happen other than what I'm going to say here, then we have an article on the website that will explain that, just so I'm not waffling on for ages. Okay, so first off we've got work permits. There is a proposal to raise the salary threshold for work permits. This has passed. It has not yet come into force. But the Migration Minister, Maria malmas has said that the government wants to bring it into force as soon as possible. So the likelihood of that coming into effect this year is quite high. And another note on the topic of retroactive laws. So in the past, when they've made reforms to work permits, if you have a work permit application that has not yet been granted... It Could apply retroactively to that, so you could be asked to kind of submit supplementary information showing that you earn enough money. It looks like that limit is going to be 33,000 kroner a month, but we don't know 100% yet. So just keep that in mind, might not happen, but it has happened in the past. Next up, we've got language and culture tests for citizenship, which we've spoken about before. It has not yet gone through a parliamentary vote, you know, it's still moving through the system, but. The law does have a proposed introduction date of January 1st, 2025. We've then got language and culture tests for permanent residency. That's again just at the first inquiry stage, uh, with a deadline for this specific inquiry stage set for May 21st this year. I'm. Pretty confident that's not going to come in this year. Uh, then we've got the strengthened system for coordination numbers, so that basically means that people with coordination numbers might be able to get bank ID. We've spoken about that before, and it'll be on the article on the website. That is passed. It was passed November thirtieth last year, due to come into force September the first, twenty twenty-three, or January the first, twenty twenty-three, for affected staff at foreign embassies. I know we have some ambassadors that listen to this, so some people will be affected.
0: And other diplomats. And
4: other diplomats working at embassies.
0: So that's already in place for them. Then that's
4: already in place for them. And then the last one is extending the residence requirement for citizenship. It's quite likely that at the first stage, of the directive would be issued before the current mandate period ends in 2026. So I, I, I basically, I don't think that the citizenship requirement is going to come in this year either. I think there's a, it's a very low chance it would come in this year. But we might, you know, we might say have it by the end of 2026. And there's more information in the article on the website.
3: You guys are going to have your work cut out this year, keeping track of all of this.
0: Yeah. Yep. Let's stay with migration for a moment. And I know there's one story, James, that sent your eyebrows skyward last week, and that was the news. That more than one thousand Brits have been ordered to leave Sweden since Brexit, and to put that in context, two thousand two hundred and fifty UK citizens were ordered to leave EU countries between twenty twenty and September twenty twenty two. So Sweden accounts for almost half the total. Do we have an explanation for this? First of
3: all, let's let's reflect on this. It's um, it's a crazy figure, given that in if you if you think about where 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 Brits living in. The EU, how that, how they're, how they're distributed. Uh, the countries that dominate are places like France, Spain, and Italy. Sweden has relatively few Brits, perhaps about twenty thousand was, 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 was the was general estimate. So it's very strange that half of those who have been refused and 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 effectively deported or, or or returned to Britain have um have come from Sweden. Now, the reasons for this, there are a few possible reasons. One is that. People didn't know to apply for the permit, and um, there's clearly there's some anecdotal evidence that this is this was indeed the case that some people were just too busy getting with their lives. They didn't um, didn't read the local clearly, more fool them, or um, and didn't sort of see all the you know the, the quite significant efforts that the British Embassy for example went to, to to get the message out in places like Facebook to tell people what to do um, also they weren't contacted directly by the migration agency with um, information about what to do, there was no letters that went out and there were in other countries where, 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 where migration agencies went to great efforts to target Brits who were living there. That's a partial explanation I think but the figures uh, for Sweden are so extreme that that can't be the whole explanation and, and the pressure group British in Europe say that the rate of refusals of status was higher in Sweden than they were seeing in, in, in other comparable European countries. So clearly a lot of people have been refused. Now we're trying to get that we're trying to get into the reasons for why those refusals have come through. One may be that Sweden was more was stricter about late applications and didn't give didn't didn't give as much leeway. And also maybe that people who didn't who hadn't regularised their status properly, who perhaps weren't working as they should have, as they should have been, you know, EU freedom of movement is a defined right. It's not a, it's not a general rights you have you have to fulfill some certain criteria and perhaps people who haven't properly fulfilled those criteria when it came to applying for this status were were refused but we're going to look more into that to try and get to the bottom of this
4: another interesting point is that in Denmark Mm. where letters were sent out to Brits there are Brits in Denmark who have been deported or received a deportation order who are actually suing the Danish state for not giving them enough information about having to apply for the Danish version of post-Brexit residency so it will be really really interesting to see what happens with that court case
1: Mm.
3: and to see if anything similar comes in Sweden yeah exactly yeah. So if you are thinking, if you, if you are one of these people, uh, then I apologise for perhaps insulting you for not reading The Local, then do get in touch with us. If you're planning on suing the Swedish state, if you've been refused and let us, let us know your situation, That would be re- we'd be really interested to, to know about it.
4: And if you want more information on the Danish case, that's up on the local.dk. So it's the Danish version. And if you, have a, if you have a membership to the local Sweden, you can also read The Local in all of the other local countries.
0: Right. As James mentioned, you're digging into this story a little bit more, Becky and Emma, so we can probably expect to see some follow-up on the .se quite soon. Okay, it's time for this week's quiz. And <laughs> I thought that given we're in Stockholm and uh, Skorna this week, it would be fun to give it a kind of a Gothenburg focus so <laughs> that the three main cities are all represented. And I, we have touched on Gothenburg a little bit in quizzes previously. And I think I think you need to brush up a little bit. So I Oh no, you <laughs> you're
3: going for a week, Paul- this is going to yeah. be
4: this is going to be embarrassing for me.
0: I visited Goth- Gothenburg for the first time in my
1: life last year.
3: No, really, really. Oh, my first Swedish boyfriend was from Gothenburg, but that was an awfully long time ago. I did spend six weeks there when I was twenty-one. To see if I've learned anything and re- and if anything's changed any since you were there. Yeah, I have been there since
0: too. I've actually got a tip for listeners, and this is kind of why Gothenburg was on my mind. There's an annual film festival in Gothenburg that starts. I believe, on the 27th of January. runs for just over a week. And during the pandemic, um, they made it possible to watch the films online. And I was given a, a present of online access to the mm. film festival by m- my parents-in-law. And it was brilliant. Um, yeah. And they, they continued doing this last year they do, I think the first year they showed basically they made all of the films available online which was incredible last year they restricted a little bit and I think this year 50 of the films are available online but it's a really nice thing to do in the sort of depths of winter when things are all still sort of dark and cold uh, you can just sort of you know settle in and watch a film every night for for a week at the end of January and uh, the start of February so I've, I've been given that present again this year so I'm really looking forward to it so uh, we're not sponsored by the Gothenburg Film Festival <laughs> it or might anything. sound like it it might sound like it yeah <laughs> but it is actually just, a, just a, an, a really nice thing to do I really recommend it yeah, I haven't had a chance to dig into the programme or anything but they generally have great films on there and you know it's long months before they reach the cinema and some of them never never do reach cinema but they can be you know really really good so anyway let's get on with the quiz Emma you might remember Jörte Platzen, which is Major Square in central Gothenburg And on it stands a statue that's one of the city's main landmarks. What does it depict? I know. You know? Okay. Oh yeah, I should run through the the rules, basically. So same as as before, you can confer and you can share an answer or you can go it alone.
4: And it's multiple choice, right?
0: And it's multiple choice, exactly. So the options are, does the statue depict Poseidon, the Greek god of the sea? William Chalmers, the one-time manager of the Swedish East India Company and the founder of Chalmers University of Technology, Or is it a lion similar to the one depicted on the city's coat of arms? And can I ask James and Becky first?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. I was going to say Gustav Adolf, the king he founded Gothenburg, but obviously that wasn't one of the choices. It can't be him. I was going to say maybe Poseidon.
4: (laughs) I mean, I know there is a statue of Poseidon, but I don't know if the square that the statue of Poseidon is on is the Jörterplatsen. I know it's like the top of Avenue, And now I'm thinking, is this a
1: trick question?
0: Is that Yeah. Emma, do you want to weigh in? Okay, Becky made me worried
1: now, but I'm (laughs) going to
0: say it's Poseidon. Uh, Are you all going with that? Yeah. Yeah, it's the right answer. The Poseidon statue at the top of Avenue, Gothenburg's best-known street, was made by Carl Millis and inaugurated in 1931. And it is flanked by the Concert Hall, the City Theatre and Gothenburg Museum of Art.
3: It's a lovely spot.
0: It is. Next question. One of Gothenburg's most famous sons is the singer-songwriter Håkan Hellström who sells out massive arena shows in minutes. But before he burst onto the scene with his album Shen Ingen Sori for May Yotabori in 2000 and... In the year 2000, it was, actually. He had served as a drummer with a much-loved band from the city. What band was it? Was it um, the soundtrack of our lives, Silver Bullet or Broda Daniel?
4: I know this one. My, Go for it. I have no um, idea. Broda Daniel. I'm 99% sure.
0: Yep, absolutely right. And does anyone know the name of their most famous song, Brutal Daniels' most famous song that became a huge underground hit after they played it on a TV show in 2001 after a three-year absence?
4: I mean, I'm pretty sure Hannah's just played it on repeat. I know this. this. Hang
1: on.
0: Emma's Emma's whole body is is rocking with the stress of not quite being able to put a finger on it. You're
1: talking too much. I can't think. (laughs) I need to sing it in my head. It's, it's the one that um, people used to scream in clubs at them, like, play, exactly. play the name of the song. Spela. Shoreline.
0: Yes, <laughs> Shoreline, correct. <laughs> OK, well done, two out of two. What is the name of the very impressive suspension bridge that links the city to the island of Hissingen? Is it Örgrytebrun, Hissingebrun or Älvsborsbrun? Hissingebrun, I want to say.
3: I have no idea. I can picture it. I feel
4: like that would be too obvious. I
1: th- I think it's Evspoor's but both that and hissing somehow sound familiar. Uh, I'm go- I'm uh, going
3: with hissing a but I might be wrong. James
0: going hissing a Becky. I'm
4: gonna I'm gonna pick the third one just so we've all picked something.
0: Evspoor's <laughs> <was> Emma. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's Elf's broon. Ah. Woo! Um, well done. It was designed by Sven-Olof Asplund and inaugurated on the 8th of November 1966 by the then communication minister, Olaf Palmer, who, of course, went on to become prime minister. That's it for today. Emma, really good to have you back, even though it might be a struggle for you to get back into the swing of things. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. And uh, yeah. Thanks, Paul. I'm happy Becky and I won the quiz.
3: I'm I'm ashamed. Do you have anything to say in your defense? What
1: what do we win? Do we win a half day off
4: before the next public holiday?
3: (laughs) (laughs) All I can say in my defense is is, is I've clearly been very well integrated into Stockholm in the sense that I totally ignore the rest of the country. (laughs) Very bad.
0: That's all for today. You'll find links in the show notes to all the articles we've discussed. Our panellists today were Becky Waterton, Emma Lovegrain and James Savage. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul Omani and we'll be back again with a new episode of Sweden in Focus next Saturday. Until then, take care.
3: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by the local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.